Oh, well, good evening, everyone. Oh, it's good to see you. And, uh, well, we know who has fuel in Catrum now. That's good to know. Uh, so well done, all of you who have made it. And uh, in the live stream, probably in a queue that's about two miles long, uh, welcome to you. We're so glad uh, that you're being able to tune in this evening. Uh, it's a glorious evening, isn't it? Was there ever any doubt uh, that the sun was going to shine uh, for us this afternoon? It's been brilliant. It's been lovely to share in a walk together and do uh, keep your Bibles or your phones, however you're reading our passage. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 14. Uh, 5 to 18, sorry. So there we go. Have that in front of you as we go along. I'm also going to invite uh, some of our helpers there who are just going to help uh, with clipboards and worksheets. So if you're a bit younger and uh, there's worksheets for you to have as we follow this passage, this Bible reading that we had read out for us. So hopefully there's going to be something for you to work on as we go through. Uh, there should be a clipboard and, uh, and hopefully uh, you brought your pens and pencils ready to work on that uh, this afternoon. Well, as, I wonder, how, as any of us, uh, who's, who's been paintballing uh, here before? Uh, paintballing, there we go. Okay, a few hands, there we go. Uh, yeah, it's good fun, isn't it? Um, I'm looking over there. We, I, we had sort of over the summer, uh, celebrating Johnny's wedding. Uh, a group of us went paintballing, good fun. And, uh, and when we went there, obviously there was a big group of us and things were about to start. And as they were starting, this guy kind of uh, gathered everybody round, about to do the introductions and about to tell everyone what the rules were, uh, about kind of how things work and, and what to expect. And this guy kind of jumps up on the stage. He's full of energy. He's wanting to get everyone pumped, you know, big energy going on with this guy. And he's going through how everything works. And he says to everyone, there's one thing you need to expect more than anything before we start. And that is, if you think you are going to get through today without being shot, you are wrong. You will most definitely be hit. That is the one thing you must expect more than anything today, he says, you will be hit by a paintball. And sure, he was right. He said no one had ever escaped at one of these paintballing sessions without being a hit uh, at least once. And sure enough, when you see the game finishing and everyone's walking back, paints all over the overalls, on the helmets, everyone has the remnants of paintballs hitting them uh, during the day. And I don't want to trivialise life in such a way or, or even sound a bit like Forrest Gump, but I want to say that life can be a bit like paintballing in that regard. You see, it might be our aim in life to try and get through without having to experience any kind of pain or suffering or tragedy in any way. But soon enough, we discover the truth that just like it's impossible to go through paintballing without being hit, it's impossible, isn't it, to go through life without going through and experiencing the painful and the difficult times that we inevitably go through. And in those times, the inevitable question that we will ask ourselves is, why, God? 
Why don't you do something? Don't you care? It's a question that our culture cries out, doesn't it? You know, even though maybe it doesn't maybe accept or acknowledge the existence of God, our culture cries out because we know when we experience suffering, we know it's not right. We know that there is something wrong and and our culture all around cries out, wanting to, to seek some kind of answer to it. And maybe cries out to a God that maybe doesn't believe is there at all and says, why, God, why don't you do something? Don't you care? Do you see how broken this world is? And maybe you're here tonight. And maybe that's what we're crying out this evening. We're genuinely, honestly asking those questions. And maybe we're a bit younger here tonight and we're gathered. And, and maybe that's your big question, too. Maybe we've gone through hard times ourselves recently. Maybe even right now, we know that we can't go through life, however rich we are, however healthy we are, without in some way experiencing the brokenness, the the pain, suffering that life brings. And that's what makes our passage tonight so important for us to listen to. Now, I'm not saying for a moment, I'm not saying for a moment that tonight's passage or tonight what we're going to hear is going to make everything okay. It won't. There will still be questions. It's not going to answer every question that we have about suffering. It's not going to wipe away all of the pain just like that. That's not what's going to happen. But I pray more than anything that tonight's passage actually gives us the most incredible anchor to hold on to as we go through life and when we inevitably hit the times when we ask ourselves those questions, God, why won't you do something? Don't you care, God? And I pray that tonight will be an anchor that we can hold on to. It will be a something precious that we can go to as we go through life. Because we're going to look at Jesus tonight and Jesus makes all the difference. And I pray that we see that God does care and that actually God has done something. And it's a wonderful truth. Now, if we haven't maybe been here in our evening services over the past couple of weeks, we've started this series in Hebrews. And Hebrews chapter one, just before chapter two, makes a big point of Jesus being superior to angels. The author kind of wants to put to bed any ideas that Jesus just falls into the line of of being a number or one of these angelic forces. He's superior. He is greater. He is one of a kind. He is God himself, the author of all things. And in fact, Hebrews will go on to say that actually Jesus is superior. Jesus is greater than anything that has gone on before, not just angels, but Moses, one of the greatest characters in the Bible, priests, or even the temple itself. That's kind of the theme of Hebrews. Jesus is greater. Jesus is the one we're to look to. But I wonder tonight, if you have your Bibles maybe open in front of you or on your phones, do you notice in our passage that repeated phrase, In verse seven, that comes in verse seven and verse nine, a passage in Hebrew says that Jesus was made lower than the angels. What the author means 
by that is that Jesus, God, became man. It's the truth that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. It, it maybe blows our minds, goes beyond the categories that we have and we can cope with maybe. But that is the truth. Jesus, fully God and fully man. The son of God took on flesh to become like me and you. And yet we might be asking the question, if we've read Hebrews so far, is, well, why did Jesus, the one that Hebrews has been saying is superior to angels, is greater than them? Well, why does he have to be made lower than them for a little while? Why is it that Jesus, the son of God, has been made like you and me? Or to put it another way, why is it crucial? Why is it essential this evening that Jesus is like you and me? He shares in our human nature. He is human. And, you know, people throughout history have talked and discussed about these great things. But Hebrews wants us to know and focus on why it is essential that Jesus and what the blessing and the the, the outcome of Jesus taking on flesh, becoming like me and you, means for us. And I've got three, Hebrews chapter two mentions three things that comes as a result of that. Three things. And tonight, boys and girls, I'm going to need your help. Here we go. Because as you see, I'm going to introduce you to, a, well, what can only be described as a Michelangelo piece that probably in time will be worth millions. Um, but there we go. Throughout the evening, we're going to, your mission is to find Three, uh, three little laminated sheets of paper that are, are going to help show us what our points are tonight. And to do that, I've got a little quest. So the first one, here we go. Where's my, where's my bit of paper? Here we go. So the riddle goes something like this. So if I say, oh, look, there's a giant bee. This clue is found next to the CRC. Oh, that's going to be a hard one here. Um, there we go. What else? B. Tree. tree. There we go. That was made up on the spot. So there we go. That's an example. Uh, so the first one we have is this. So boys and girls, when you think you know the location, I want you to go over and see if you can find the little sheet and bring it over here and we'll put it on the board. OK, are you ready? So I want to see if you are a good hide and seeker. This clue is found underneath the. There we go. There we go. Be careful, Paul. Oh, there we go. Which speaker is it? Oh! Our first one this evening is to crush death. Jesus became human to crush death. Now, boys and girls, we're also going to have some actions to this. So when I say Jesus came out to crush death, we're going to go oh, like that. Can you do it? Oh, there we go. Good stuff. And we'll follow that through as we go. So well done. We've got the first clue. Brilliant. So that's the first thing that Hebrews wants us to see. And that's you notice that. Look with me at verse nine in our passage. It says, but do we see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while? Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. 
And then further down in verses 14 and 15, it says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You know, Benjamin Franklin wasn't wrong, was he, when he said that there are only two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. We all know, don't we, that we don't go on forever. I think it's fair to say that culturally we do a pretty good job, don't we, of distracting ourselves from that reality. Out of sight, out of mind, we might say. We, we make ourselves busy. We fill our lives with maybe entertainment. We try and get as healthy as we can, maybe to sort of put off that day that is coming to forget about this reality that we all know awaits us. And why would we want to think about it, right? It's a horrible thing. It hurts. It stings. It's the darkest part of life. In fact, Hebrews describes it as the devil's power over us. It points us back all the way to the start of the Bible in Genesis. The devil, through his deception, brings and leads humanity represented in Adam under the curse of death through his disobedience. And death is held over humanity by the devil. It's the, the rod of his fear. This power over us, knowing that there's nothing we can do and knowing that there's an even greater death in store for us away from God forever. And it's that reality that, let's be honest, we so often fear. As I heard it, one person put it, death is not just an event that awaits us, but so often a power that rules us now the reason why we're desperate to squeeze every ounce of life out before it all runs out. Death, you could say, is the great enemy of humanity. And yet this is the unbelievably good news that Hebrews tells us of what Christ becoming like me and you does for us. Because in verse 9, Hebrews says that by the grace of God, he, Jesus, might taste death for everyone. What an interesting phrase that is. Jesus tasted death or literally he, he tried the flavor of death. And you might be saying, but, but don't we all taste death in some way? We all go through it, surely, don't we? Remember, this passage, it points us back right to the beginning of the Bible story. Back to the beginning when Adam tasted the fruit and the curse of death was brought in. And here we get this picture of Jesus not just knowing and tasting what it is like to die, but actually dealing with the, the very curse of death itself by dying and rising to life again. Jesus, he goes into the grave and there he crushes death. He crushes its power by rising back to life. The curse that rules us suddenly crushed. It matters like Jesus is like us. 
Because in Jesus, we have a better Adam, one who doesn't give a curse, but one who crushes the curse of death through his death and resurrection. Actually, when we trust in Jesus, actually, we receive life instead. He tasted and experienced the curse of death so he could crush it. He could crush the power that Satan uses to hang over us, to strike fear into our hearts. Jesus, he takes all of it. And by dying to death, he crushes it. You know, people throughout church history have met together to come to clarify different aspects of theology and and what the Bible teaches. And they often write a document or outlining sort of statements of belief after they have meetings like this, often called confessions or catechisms whatever you want to call it. And there's one called the Heidelberg Catechism, and it starts off with one question that's posed. And it says this, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer that's given is this, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both life and death to my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. He has paid for all of my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. Maybe to us here this evening, it seems like a strange question, Matt. How could there be any comfort in any kind of death? But Hebrew says to us this evening that there is hope, even in the darkest reality of death, because Jesus became like you and me. He died a death. He crushed death. He eliminated its power so that in him we might not have to know death forever and ever, but we might share in the same story that just like Jesus went into the grave and came back out, so might we if we put our trust in him. Jesus, he has crushed death. That brings us to our second thing. That was our main point, that kind of Hebrews chapter two. And it brings us to our second point. So, boys and girls, I need you to get ready because there's another riddle for us to find. So on that, on the grass, there is a label. This clue is found underneath the. There we go. Where is it? Oh, it's underneath the Yorkshire tea box. Well done. Well done. There we go. Our second point for us is to cleanse sin. So first point, what was that, boys and girls? Do you remember the first point? What was the action? Crush death. Second one is to cleanse our sin. So we're going to wash our hands like we're cleaning. There we go. So to crush death and to cleanse us from sin. That's the second one. So look with me at verse 10, if you've got, and we're going to go through this. Hebrew says in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. And in verse 17, it says for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. 
The second reason that, that Hebrews says why it is absolutely necessary that Jesus is like you and me is that so he might deal with our biggest problem, that of our sin. Do you know, I love what a guy called Anselm of, of Canterbury wrote in his book of, he said, of why God became man. And speaking of the payment that it must be made for our sin, he said, it could not have been done unless what was unless what man paid. Sorry, I'm going to start. It could not have been done unless what man paid what was owing to God for sin. But the debt was so great that while man alone owed it, only God could pay it. So that same person must be both man and God. Thus, it's necessary for God to take manhood into the unity of his person so that he who is in his nature ought to pay and could not should be in a person who could. The point there, the payment for our sin is so great that only God could pay it. But only we as human beings should be the ones to pay it. And Hebrews says that Jesus is fully human in every way so that he becomes our representative before God. So that the guilt that we as humans share and have before a holy God could be dealt with forever. You know, maybe it is that we say again this evening, does God really care about me? Or Hebrews says he would come and die for you. That is how much he cares and he loves you. It came at the price of his life on that cross. Does God care? He came to give his life so that our sin could be dealt with finally and fully. So that's our second point. But thirdly and finally this evening, are we ready? Oh, there we go. I can see someone's ready. There we go. Thirdly and finally, you've got the aim of the game. Here we go. So. I can see on the floor a bag. This clue is next to the flag. Where's the flag? Where's the flag? Where's the flag? There we go. There we go. Now it's, it's a bit of a race now. It's not a surprise that the, it's not a surprise that the, the child who's dressed as Flash is the fastest. I think that's, that's right, isn't it? There we go. Look at that. Wow. Very fast. So that brings us to the, literally the last point, which is the wonderful blessing of Jesus being like you and me, sharing in our humanity, was that he can comfort us in our weakness. So boys and girls, we've got to crush death. We've got to cleanse us from sin. And then we've got to comfort us in our weakness. Do we see that right at the end of our passage in verse 18? It says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those 
who are being tempted. Do you know, I'm not sure of three more incredible words that can be found to read tonight. He himself suffered. He himself suffered. Ultimately, the fact that God has become man, he's taken on flesh, he is like you and me and the person of Jesus means that God knows exactly what it is to suffer. He himself suffered, it says. Isn't that staggering? Do you know, when you go through hard times, it can be often the most frustrating thing, can't it? When you're at your lowest point. To, to have someone come over and try and console you and say, I, I, I know what you're going through when they don't. I know what you're going through. I, I understand where you're at. Actually, when you're at that point, it can be a frustration. No, you don't know. You don't know. But here's what that phrase at the end of our passage means. It means that when you or I are at the lowest moments of our lives, the most terrifying points, the most painful, when it's like it's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus says to you in the most sensitive and loving way you can imagine, I know how you feel. Even when it comes to temptation. Struggling with that sin that we keep making time after time after time. When you come to Jesus, yes, he was sinless. But he knows what it is to be tempted. He knows what it is to experience suffering. He knows what it is to have nails driven into his hands. He is able to say, I know. He is able to comfort. He is able, as Hebrew says, to help when we go through those moments. You see, I don't think I'll ever be able to understand in this life why I or others have gone through the times and the trials and the sufferings that we have experienced. And I know that this doesn't answer every question, but my comfort this evening My anchor in those moments is that because of the humanity of Christ, my God has experienced suffering. He's not just got a paper cup once in a while. He has experienced almost every kind of suffering you can imagine, social, relational, spiritual, mental, physical. Jesus, he has gone through it all in measures that defy our imagination. And so in my suffering, I know that when I cry out to God, God is not there. Jesus is not there in his ivory tower looking down on me, unsympathetic. But rather, as Hebrews says, it says he himself suffered. He knows. And what an amazing statement that is, because no other religion, no other worldview has a perspective on suffering like this. To be able to say that the one that we worship this evening, the one that we have been praising, knows what it is to suffer. And who walks with us in our suffering and has not just done that, but has made a way for death to be crushed, for our sin to be washed away. And for us one day to enjoy a creation, a world, a kingdom that is free, rid of all suffering entirely one day. Christianity is unique. 
Jesus is unique. He is greater. Well, I wonder this evening, if we're really asking the question, as we're experiencing the brokenness of the world around us, why God? Why don't you do something, God? Don't you care, God? Well, Hebrews says God has done something. He does care. In fact, God became man. He humbled himself in the greatest way possible. So that as we heard, he could crush death, cleanse us from sin, and he could comfort us in our weakness. Or to put it another way, I'll close with this. God became like you so that he could die for you so that he could walk with you forever boys and girls should we go through our actions once more the amazing reality that jesus god himself has come down become like you and me three things that we told what's the first one there we go crush death what's the second one we do the actions there we go cleanse us from sin and the third one Brilliant, to comfort us in our weakness. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that you, the Son of God, have taken on flesh, have become like us, that you have walked this world that is full of suffering. You have experienced all of life's hurts and pains and struggles. And Lord Jesus, you've come that you might deal with the biggest problems of this world, that you might crush death, that you offer life in your name, that you might cleanse us from all of our wrong and all of our sin. Lord Jesus, we're forgiven in your name. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that until that day when we see you face to face and we're with you in that kingdom that you're bringing, that is free of all suffering and brokenness. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you say that you are here to walk with us, that you comfort us in our weakness, that in our times of desperation, Lord Jesus, you say to us, I know and I am with you and I will help you. Lord Jesus, you are a faithful and you are a merciful high priest. We praise you and worship you in Jesus name. Amen.